You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. Hey, I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the show, we've got a special guest, Andrew Bergen, Winnipeg Jets fan, joining us today. We'll be talking about the Connor Hellebuck deal, the free agency upcoming for the Winnipeg Jets forwards, and of course, we'll wrap up the show talking defense, specifically Jacob Truba. Stay tuned. All right, so right now on the line, we've got Andrew Bergen joining us. You might know him from the Film Collective. Uh, If you're looking for a video, he is the guy to talk to. You can check out his stuff online. But he's also a huge Winnipeg Jets fan. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. So uh, today we want to talk about, obviously, what's going on with the Winnipeg Jets. Most recently, it is the offseason. Connor Hellebuck signing a deal already. Lots of other big RFAs yet to sign. So we'll start with the goaltending. Your thoughts when you heard that contract announcement? That's a healthy contract right there. I thought both sides won. Uh, Jets got a good goaltender. I mean, we only have about, what, two years of pro hockey, uh, two years of NHL hockey, rather, under his belt. So there's a bit of a risk, I think, maybe in that. Um, but overall, his performance last year, deep into the playoffs, I mean, you know, goaltending is as, as inconsistent as it can be. That was a, that was a pretty good contract for a pretty good, pretty good dollar amount for uh, the performance he gave us last year. Kyle, your thoughts? Well, yeah, I totally agree with that side, and, and the, my only thought is that makes me a little bit wary is, the, like you said, the, the two years of NHL experience. So you're looking at a guy who maybe doesn't have a track record as some of those other goalies who are getting paid up above the 5-6 million range. You look at some of those other names, guys like Martin Jones or, or Mike Smith, guys who have been around seemingly forever getting paid around that range, and you're giving a contract like that to Hellebuck with, like you said, two years of NHL experience. That's where maybe I'm coming from to be a little bit on the wary side, but I totally agree it could work out very well for the Winnipeg Jets. Now, I'm just looking looking at his numbers right now, and the last year before they made the playoffs, that was kind of like a blip in the radar when it comes to his save percentage. Uh, and really going all the way back to his time in the NAHL uh, with the Odessa Jackalopes. And that's as far back as it goes on Hockey DB. He had a 930 save percentage. He went to college. He had a 952 and a 941. That is unreal. Then he went to St. John's Ice Caps. In 58 games, he had a 921. He then had 30 games with the Moose. He had a 922 save percentage. Coming up to the Jets that same season in 26 games, he had a 918. Then the 2016-17 season was the blip. He had really no backup in Michael Hutchinson. He was playing poorly. He was thrust into the started role as a rookie. He had a 907 save percentage. But then this last year, he went up to 924. I don't know if he can sustain that, but I think that he has proven over his career, everywhere he's gone, he's had amazing numbers. Yeah, and it has a lot. I think a lot to do with um, just the experience of it all. I mean, I know goaltenders especially they need that pro level of experience, even just in the AHL, which he did, which allows you to get your timing up to a higher level. Um, the NHL was sort of almost like a like a fast track to where he is now. And like you said, he has the history um, through of, of uh, rather the pedigree of a great um, goal goaltending to show that he can handle it and to adjust to it as he goes older. I guess that was where the question mark landed, whereas uh, last year is the starting role. We get Steve Mason. He says, no, guys, I got this. And, of course, now we're at where we are today. Yeah, so uh, I, like you said, he, he's been good forever. And, and since he's been playing pro hockey in the AHL, his numbers have been very good. And one of the good parts about this deal is I think maybe the, the style that he plays. He's the type of goaltender. He's been labeled as big and boring plenty of times. And I think that bodes well for the future because, to me, that's more sustainable than being super athletic. Easier to replicate. Easier to replicate than trying to just 
out-athleticize other goaltenders. I don't think that athleticize... That's probably not a word, but you know what I mean. And that's what Andre Pavlik tried to do. I was just going to say, Andre Pavlik is that exact opposite goaltender. Yeah, so Andre Pavlik would get out of position all the time, but would make these outrageous highlight reel saves. Well, that was not sustainable or very easily repeatable in the long run. And and you saw that with his numbers. They were up and down, not very good consistently. And that's one of the reasons why I think Hellebuck will be good in the future is because he has that foundation of being big and boring, but he plays his angles right. He doesn't over-rely on his athleticism, although he can make those saves. And I think that is probably one of the best reasons for this contract, that when he ages, he will still be a good goaltender even if he loses out on some of that athleticism. One last thing about goaltending before we move on. Uh, your thoughts, Andrew, about the backup situation. Now, Hellebuck is clearly the go-to guy, especially with this kind of contract. But do you have any concerns with Brassois or Comrie? Or who, what are your thoughts on the backup spot going forward? And I guess that's the interesting point. Um, when, when, it, when the Jets traded away in Mason, I was a little concerned. I knew why they did. They were trying to find cap space to sign their, their UFAs and their RFAs and, and what have you. Um, but I first thought the first person I thought was of Comrie because Comrie's you know he has a taste of NHL I think two two games now um, he's been very diligent in the AHL last year with and I wonder is this the year where he starts getting more and more looks maybe Hellebuck takes that load he's used to that um, high level workload as of last year but could Comrie make a quicker jump than we all expected I, I was expecting him to be in the AHL maybe another year or two uh, just for development sake and because we already have a, a good number one started we believe in number one starter in Hellebuck. Um but then yeah when when, when they grabbed the uh Brussels from the Oilers I was a little worried because uh we didn't see a whole lot of great things from him last year. Um I know last podcast you guys were talking about him and sort of his pedigree before the Oilers and how the Oilers tend to wreck prospects. Um so in that sense it gets to put a lot of question marks up in the air. Um I'm curious to see what he does. I know that there's a relationship between him and Hellebuck and they have kind of a history and they like to train together in the off season. So to me, it's interesting. I, I want to see what he does. I want to see if he's just a, a dependable backup. But I'm really, as a fan, wanting more to see if we can get Comrie in there to get him a, kind of a fast track to become a more of a solid backup and we kind of have that tandem of players that we've drafted and developed ourselves. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Uh, Comrie's numbers not bad last year. He had a 916 save percentage during the regular season uh, for the Moose. Uh, in the playoffs, it was 908. And even before that, it wasn't that sparkling uh, in the AHL. 906, uh, 907, nothing really to brag about. And so we'll have to see uh, who steps up in training camp. But either way, I guarantee you we're not going to be overpaying for a backup. So next up, our next segment, we want to take a look at the forwards and the defense side of things for the Winnipeg Jets. So our next segment, we want to get to the forward group for the Winnipeg Jets uh, now that free agency is here and now arbitration as well. And so for the Winnipeg Jets not getting Paul Stastny, we talked a little bit about that on the last podcast. Andrew, uh, your thoughts on that? Paul Stastny would have been a great addition. Um, I've been listening to a lot of experts talk about sort of the condition of the Jets with and without Stastny. And I guess everyone forgot that the Jets were a really good team without him. So... I mean, him coming in there sort of solidified a second line that was, you know, could compete with any line in the NHL, uh, which is what was so tantalizing about having him. But overpaying in, in the way the Jets have been operating for all these years, uh, in a way, it's I feel like it might turn out to be a blessing in disguise down the road. Stephanie's a little older. Um, you know, Vegas is willing to throw a bunch of money at him. Three years was a good term for both sides. But uh, I think I think in some way this is going to give an opportunity to a much more affordable and potentially more surprising player coming up. But I guess we'll see with that. 
Yeah, no, I like that as well. Uh, we didn't want the Winnipeg Jets to overpay. And so now when you look at the forward group for Winnipeg, and I was actually looking at this on the uh, dailyfaceoff.com. They use Corsica hockey stats and they rank all of the different players. They just give them a number based on their performance. And so they've given us the Jets line combinations potentially for next season. So they've got Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler is the top line. And according to all leagues or all teams in the league, this would be the number five ranked line. And that's a pretty high end line when you look at those oh, wow. three guys. And then with little between Ehlers and Liney on that second line, that's again, another top end second line in the NHL second line in the NHL. The third line of Perot, Patan, and Rozovic, if the Jets actually did do that, would be the 24th ranked third line, so near the bottom, but then the fourth line of Tanev, Lowry, and Dano, or Tanev, Lowry, and Kopp would be the 10th ranked fourth line. So really, when you look at it, the Winnipeg Jets would be in the upper echelon again, even without Stastny. Yeah, and I think that's what kind of everybody's talking about is, well, yes, Stastny makes your team better, but can you survive without him? And like what Andrew mentioned, the Jets were a good team without Paul Stastny. And for a long time, Brian Little was maybe one of the most underrated Winnipeg Jets players being a first-line center, even though a lot of people had no idea who he was from outside the organization. And now he's a number two center, but everybody's wondering, well, is he actually a number two center? He's done this his entire career, Brian Little has. So that's why I think maybe he can be that second line setter, even though a lot of media, a lot of Jets fans say, well, he can't. Well, we also said that about him, him being a first line center for years. So that's why I think maybe that he can have that second line. And like you said, that depth is really important. That fourth line, I think, being, uh, you said the 10th best, I think they might be better than that. That was with Dano in there, like you said. If you put in somebody like Cop, that fourth line really transforms into one of the best uh, maybe shutdown lines in the league. Um, but yeah, I think the, the depth is not really an issue for the Winnipeg Jets going forward, given that Dano and Patan and guys like that can come into the lineup. And nobody's really even talking about Veselainen maybe making an impact uh, come camp. And so there's three forwards as RFAs left for the Winnipeg Jets. Tanev, Dano, and Lowry. Your thoughts on those three guys, Andrew? Yeah, the, the third line here, I mean, you mentioned that all, fourth line, all, all four lines in NHL or the, the Jets had to offer there. That was for the lowest rank compared to any other team. Um, but yeah, they still have their pluses. I mean, Lowry as a center has been sort of a, a game changer for Winnipeg, and he's continued to develop, let's see, like a third, fourth round pick. So that's, that's fantastic for Winnipeg. Um, Tanev, I'm not as, as far as dollars and signs, like to, for signing him, I'm not really sure. He's definitely an interesting player. He's very dynamic, very gritty. I love that about him. Um, I think the Jets need more of that, in a sense. Um, but, you know, as far as production stuff, he's sort of finding his way a little closer to the end of the season. Um, but I think just an average, you know, fourth-line salary would be kind of more appropriate for him. Um, I think there's actually a lot of mystery with Kopp. Um, Kopp obviously plays the wing here and there. I think he actually might be a stronger, or a, a potential slot for the second line, not consistently, but maybe as a fill-in role. Um, every time he was with higher-skilled players, he did make much more of an impact even as a center, so I thought that was quite interesting. Um, but just to, if I can throw it back to the second-line center aspect, with Brian Little, um, I know lots of the time the players he played with, you know, they were, they were peace players. They weren't like these all-stars like, uh, or potential all-stars like the high-skilled guys like um, Ehlers and Laine. Um Ehlers and Laine are much more playmakers, guys to pass, shoot. When he's playing with guys that'll grind and guys that'll go in deep to get pucks, he's shown to be much more of an effective player, much more of a stats player. So I almost wonder if it's not so much that Brian Little's tailing off, but it was just the pairing wasn't a good fit. If the Jets could find maybe a, a third-line help and maybe pop on the guys in the third line to the second line, 
depending on what's needed in that second line. Or maybe you throw Ehlers to the, to the third line and bring more of a grinder like Pro to the second line just to balance it off a bit more. Just yeah. some thoughts. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think there's so many combinations that I think the Winnipeg Jets should try out to find something that fits. Kyle? Well, I find that really interesting you bring that up. And when Little was a, a first-line center, it was usually with Ladd and Wheeler on his sides, right? And like you said, maybe that um, gritty-type style, well, that was Andrew Ladd when he was here. He was a kind of a hard-hitting, get-in-on-the-forecheck type of player. And now he's playing with Ehlers and Line for most of the year, who are not that way at all. And you had Brian, or you had Blake Wheeler on the other side, who's a high-speed playmaker. Well, that's also not Line A and Ehler. So you take what what Brian Little was successful with, Ladd and Wheeler, and you stick them with two entirely different players in Line A and Ehlers. And that's why it's interesting you bring that up, is that there is so many combinations, and that's definitely something to look for. I think maybe Cop could fit with Little down the road. Maybe that could be a good makings of a of a third line going forward. Who knows? Um, but regardless, I think there's so many different options for the Winnipeg Jets, and I think that's the most important thing about this depth, is that you can try all these different combinations and see what works. And, and last year, just the one that did work for a while when Mark Scheife went down, it was Little with Ehlers and Perot, and they were a really dynamic line together. Maybe because of that, you had the speed on one side and that little bit of grit with Perot getting in on the forecheck. Maybe that's what Little needs to kind of jumpstart his second-line center role. One other thing I wanted to add add before we get to defense, and this could cause a whole can of worms. I saw Tony uh, post this uh, on Twitter, and he talks a lot on Twitter about different topics. And I don't know if you're familiar with him at all. Uh, uh, what is it, Tony MB Hockey or something like that on Twitter? Uh, Andrew, basically what he suggested the other day is that the Winnipeg Jets should trade Blake Wheeler. That right now Blake Wheeler's value is at as high as it's going to get. He's early 30s. He's the captain. He had another great season with a ton of points in that this is his last year of his contract. After this, at the $5.6 million, he's probably going to want to raise and he's probably going to want a still a decent length contract in that he's the type of player, he might have one or two or three more good seasons, but then he could trail off at the end of this next contract. Do the Jets have the money for him? Now with his value super high is when they should trade. Your thoughts? I see his point. Um, it is a bit of a gamble. Uh, the aspect of sort of the off-ice aspect of the amount of, um, like, the heart. He's essentially the heart of the team. I think a lot of people saw the, the emergence of Shifley going, well, he's our next captain after Wheeler. So that, that's an intriguing aspect. However, there was something that Blake Wheeler said last season where he felt that by the age 28 is when he finally felt he grew into his, his, his body, his form. Um, some people, ha- you know, take longer to develop than others. If that's true, and, you know, his, his Ironman streak last year was, I can't remember how many games, it was in the hundreds, I think, and he gave that up for some rest for the playoffs. But the guy stays healthy. The guy stays fit. The guy's the driving force, the heart, basically, of this team. I mean, yeah, okay, you can trade him away and get some high-level skill, but that, that has to be worth something. The, the, the intangible factor that he brings, oh, the intangible factor he brings, quite frankly, is very tangible. You know, the, the, the points he's able to produce his last couple of years, it's, it's staggering. So, yes, his trade value is incredibly high, but what are you getting back for him? Are you going to pollute your locker room again? Are you going to get some guy who, who doesn't understand that culture? Is there enough people in the locker room to fulfill that culture and can continue it going in that locker room? I'm not sure. But I think out of just the, the amount of culture of respect that there is in hockey, I don't think you can do that. I think you've you got to keep him as long as you can. Not as long as you can, but at least for the short-term or the future, maybe an extra three, four years if that's even possible. Yeah, no, I'm with you as well. I think we need to keep him because I think if you want to win, the Winnipeg Jets' chance of winning is now – 
and whatever you're going to get back for them isn't going to keep you in that win now mode or isn't necessarily a piece that's going to help you win right away necessarily. I'm of the mindset I'm right there with you that you need to keep him for at least another contract. Kyle? Well, I, I agree you need to keep him, but that next contract scares me, and, and it scares me a lot. You're looking at Blake Wheeler in his, if he's a late bloomer, he's in his prime, right? Right, and, yeah. And he's scoring 80 to 90 points every single season Consistently. In, in today's day and age. So does that mean he's a top 10 player in the NHL? Arguably. Definitely top 10 right wing. I would argue he's probably higher than that. When looking at assists, he's top five year in, year out. Does he command double-digit money if he's a top 10 player in the NHL? Well, that's my question. Can you afford to pay Blake Wheeler $10 million? Is Line going to want close to $10 million as well? And then you run into the Chicago Blackhawks problem, and you're just strapped for cash. But the Jets haven't won a cup yet. Blackhawks fans can be okay with it because they won their cups already. They can go through this cap crunch. If you have that and you haven't won a cup by that point, I think it gets very dicey trying to win if he commands close to that double-digit money. And if he is a top-10 player in the NHL, which I think he is, he might want that. I just think you're trying to then rebuild during your cup contention. You're trading away your best player during the window of your trying to win a cup. I just don't understand how that makes sense of trying to win a cup. Andrew? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think just for that aspect alone, you have to just keep him around. I mean, I mean that was sort of the argument with Stassing as well, because Stassing is that kind of already matured, ripened piece that would bring the Jets there. And I think because of the playoff run they were having, everyone was hoping that that would be this year. Um, of course, everyone wants that. But no, he's, he's absolutely, you know, as, how old is he, 32? 30, 31, 31, I think. 31. I mean, he's, he's yeah, just kind of getting to the end, edge of his prime, but I feel like you got at least three more years of, of cup contention contribution from him before he starts trailing off. So um, I think you got to keep him and you got to swallow that pill when it gets there. You might have to lose him for free. You might have to overpay him a little bit. But I mean, I think at the end of the day, the Jets aren't going to put themselves in a position where they're overpaying for a guy they know is going to trail off. So it might, it might just be a very disappointing and sad uh, farewell at the end of his contract. Yeah, I guess there's always that risk as well. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm there with you. Keep him as long as you can. Uh, so then uh, next up, we want to switch gears just a little bit. Uh, quickly, we're going to touch on defense as we uh, – one last segment here in the podcast. All right, so the last segment, unfortunately, Andrew, he had to run, so uh, he won't be joining us for this last segment. Talking about defense, uh, Kyle, we take a look at the Winnipeg Jets' three RFAs, Truba, Pullman, and Morrissey. We've talked a lot about them already, but just quickly touching on this, uh, some news coming out about Jacob Truba and arbitration. If anybody's going to get to arbitration, I would put my money on Jacob Truba just because of him sitting out, his agent, just the whole situation. If anybody's going to get there, I would put my money on him. Yeah, he has the track record for sure. And news coming out this morning, uh, news could be changing any second, uh, just the nature of how close we are to his hearing going on. Um, we'll know a decision in a, in a couple days, regardless of what happens. By the next podcast, we'll know. Exactly. But for now, it's just pure speculation. Uh, the latest as of podcasting time, um, the both Truba and his... Um, so the team and Truba each kind of put out their... Um, I don't know what you call it. Their, their bid for the contract um, for the arbitration process. So the Jets put closer to $4 million dollars. And Jacob Truba said he was worth $7 million. So they are way far apart as of right now going into the arbitration process. 
But let's be honest here. Whenever you go into negotiation, you always start low and you always start high on each respective side. Truba isn't going to start with his bottom dollar. The Jets aren't going to start with their top dollar. This just makes sense. So I, you kind of take those with a little bit of a grain of salt. Somebody posted on Twitter, and I like their point. Just split it in the middle. Get a long-term deal done. Here we go. Five and a half. Halfway in the middle between those two spots. I think it's probably going to end up closer to six. Just over. If it gets to arbitration and they assign a two-year deal, then that means that Truba will be a free, an unrestricted free agent at the end of the deal. If it just goes one year, uh, then the Winnipeg Jets would still have him as a restricted free agent after that one-year deal. And then we go through this whole process again next offseason. Basically, yes. So if you're the arbitrator, Kyle, we're going to put your our arbitrator's hats. I don't know if they wear hats, but we're going to put it on right now. What do you give... For Jacob Truba. A one-year deal. Let's say it's a one-year deal. How much money are you giving him? This is interesting. One-year deal. A one-year deal, I'm giving him $5 million. Why? Or or less, potentially. I think this deal is entirely made up due to the term. That's what's essentially the important part of this deal. Like you said, UFA status is two years away. So if you sign him to a two-year deal, he's free to go wherever he wants two years down the road. If we're signing him to a long-term deal, like most people are wanting, five, six, seven years, you're eating up so much of his UFA, you're buying those years from him. So because he's two years away, you sign him to a six-year deal, he's losing out on four years of UFA eligibility. He can't sign a UFA contract for four years longer than he could have if he just signed a two-year deal. If you sign him to a six-year deal, he's early 30s. By the time he his next contract comes around, his first UFA contract is already when he's past 30. Right, so it's going to be and less. And that means that's so going to that, be his only contract he cashes in on that means he's in his want entire more. career. But you're the arbitrator. You don't worry about all that stuff. You're basically, as the arbitrator, you're just looking at what he's done. It's the old conversation, what have you done for me lately? And I was actually looking at this earlier today. Uh, that what can be considered when it comes to salary arbitration. So this is basically what uh, the evidence that can be presented and what can be included. The player's overall performance, including statistics in all previous seasons, injuries, illnesses, and the number of games played, which is kind of interesting. The player's length of service with the team and in the NHL. The player's overall contribution to the team's success or failure. The player's special qualities of leadership or public appeal, which is kind of an interesting one. And the performance and salary of any player believed to be comparable to the player in dispute. That one, I think, makes the most sense. Exactly. So looking at these six pieces of criteria, what would you give him? Are you still at that $4.5 million? Well, depending on what you're looking at, his stats aren't great. So if you're looking at just a one-year deal, what did he do last year? Well, his stats are not great. If they're underneath. If you're looking at goals, points, assists, they're not as high as they could be for guys getting in that $6 million range. Right? Yep. So if you're looking at some of the other aspects you're talking about, well, you look at comparables. There's a very, very clear market set for comparables. We've laid it out plenty of times. There's about five to 10 players, similar age, similar stats, all Seth same between. Jones, Morgan Riley. Yeah, five and a half to about just over six to six and a half for their deals. Those are also multi length deals. So if you're only signing a one-year deal, I think it's maybe slightly less than that. And that's why I kind of picked that $5 million. If it's just a one-year deal, it's only $5 million. As soon as you're buying those UFA years, that's where you creep up into the five and a half, six, maybe six and a half range for Jacob Truba. 
I am right there with you that you look at those numbers. They are not spectacular. He might argue who he's played with, although last year playing with Josh Morrissey, he got a lot of minutes, a lot of ice time. Uh, You take a look. He played 55 games last year. He played 60 the year before that, and that was because he sat out at the start of the year. He played 81 the year before, his only really full year. Then his first two seasons in the league, he played 65 games both. So the Winnipeg Jets might try and bring that up. Durability an issue. Uh, When you talk about uh, the player's profile and leadership qualities and public appeal, I don't know if they're that high in Winnipeg because there has been some animosity and there has been some perception from the fans that he wants out and that kind of thing. I don't think Jacob Truba can use that as uh, an appeal for more money. Length of service with the team, five years. Uh, Overall performance, not bad. I think the comparables is kind of the big one. And with all the other stuff, if it gets to arbitration, I think he's getting a one, two-year deal at around five, five and a half. I think there's a lot of comparisons and that's probably what's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to get there or not. No. I'm right right now. I'm kind of 50-50 whether or not he's going to make it to arbitration or not. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And like we said, by the time we podcast again, we'll know for sure all the details and everything. Uh, the thing I'm wondering about, what kind of stats do they bring into their arbitration hearing? Are they starting to bring in advanced stats? I'm assuming. I'm sure, I'm sure they are. So if you look at Jacob Truba's point totals, they're not great because he had no power play time, yada, yada, things like that. When you look at actually his five-on-five rates of scoring... They rank first or second for all Winnipeg Jets defensemen. So he's near the top of the team in scoring. He just doesn't get those power play minutes. So he can actually score. And that's why I liked uh, John Malloy's tweets, hashtag Jacob Truba can actually score. And on my arbitration article, I use that as well because he, he can score. He's just not getting the opportunity to play. And that's maybe one of his best arguments going forward. He's worth more. He just hasn't had the opportunity due to line mates previous seasons, two years ago three years ago with line mates and this past year, maybe not getting those power play time that he could thrive in potentially. And so now when you look at Tucker Pullman, he gets arbitration. I don't think it's going to make it to arbitration. He's probably going to get a fairly affordable deal for the Winnipeg Jets. Josh Morrissey is kind of the interesting one. He doesn't get arbitration. It's just because of how many years he's played in the league. He hasn't played enough and he's not old enough to get arbitration. Just like Jacob Truba wasn't old enough the last time his contract came up. I think Morrissey uh, is a player who's had some pretty good numbers. He's had some decent stats, but he hasn't played that long. I think it's smart for the Winnipeg Jets to lock him up long term at more of an affordable price and keep this guy around for a while. Yeah, I agree. You can maybe get Morrissey on a, a $4 million deal for multiple seasons, something like that. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. If a player starts before he's 20 years old, has to have played four full seasons before he's eligible for arbitration, Morrissey not quite reaching that. I think he's at three now, which is why he's not eligible for arbitration. Um, and that's kind of how it goes. If you start, and the reason why Tanev is, because he doesn't have that either, um, he started when he was older. And because so, he's already 26. Exactly. So as you get older, you have to play less and less seasons to reach that arbitration. That's why Tanev is there as well. And yeah, so those are just some of the fine points of arbitration and just some things to look out for. And of course, uh, getting very close to that and we'll know all the answers soon. So once again, we'd like to thank Andrew for joining us today on the podcast. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody commenting on Twitter, uh, interacting with us on social media. Paul Jaguer uh, talking about the Hellebuck contract. 
He figured the tournament amount were a little bit high for one successful season, although he would have thought two to three years for a bit less would have been better. But you got to do what you got to do. Uh, also, I'm hoping uh, Kent Wilson uh, from The Athletic tuning in today. I suggested that he listen to the podcast. So, Kent, I uh, hope you're listening to the podcast for today. But that pretty much does it. Of course, make sure to go to Jets Nation. Vote on who you think is going to be the greatest Winnipeg Jet. Uh, there's kind of a March Madness-style bracket there for you to check out. And if there's anything else you want us to talk about on the podcast, hit us up at Jets and Podcast. Find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at JetsNation.ca.